Well, good morning. It's so good to see you. Thanks for being here in Plymouth. For those of you at our regional campuses, welcome to Northridge Church if you're a guest. Special welcome. Can I just say, our creative team did wonderfully this time, didn't they? Didn't they great? So proud of them. I'm a little afraid of this chair. I'm going to get my pants all uh, painted up. But uh, the video, I'm just so proud of the people that God has gifted and they have committed themselves to serving him. So staff and volunteers, that's awesome. And, And welcome. We're starting this new series called Brush. And I have to tell you, this is a a very important series to me personally because it deals with an issue that that when I confront it and when I face it and when I understand it and when I properly deal with it allows me to experience the fullness that Jesus has for me but when I don't I I perpetuate the failure that is my tendency and and I am just an example of all humanity I am like you And I just believe this series has the potential to help us to understand some things that can lead us to experiencing what all of us long to experience. Because you see, my life was forever changed when I experienced my first brush with God. I I was young. I, I was searching for what I didn't know. In fact, I don't think... At that young age, I was in tune enough with my own life that I, that I knew I was searching. But I was. I, I was searching for what we all search for, meaning and happiness, uh, at least a little calming of the discontentment that raged within me. I was looking for a little bit of fulfillment in a, in a life of emptiness, you know? The problem is that I was looking for all of these things that I thirsted for, I desperately needed, in everything but God. And this is where many in our world are. For me, I wasn't turning to God because my experience with religion had totally turned me off to Him. I, I believed if God was who religion painted Him to be, then He had nothing for me, and so... I wasn't looking to him, and so I was looking in every place where I couldn't find what I was longing for. I turned to my peers and all that my peers were doing. If you know anything about the early 70s, you can only imagine what that means. The, pr- the problem was they, they were just as lost as I was. They were the blind leading me the blind, and the sad reality is I was so desperate to find what I was looking for that I was even willing to follow them. But then it happened. I genuinely experienced the reality of God. He he revealed himself to me, and I don't want you misunderstanding that. He didn't reveal himself to me without. It wasn't like you know, a hand writing on the wall. It wasn't a Goodyear blimp saying, Dear Brad, this is a message from God. It wasn't a miracle. It wasn't some outward obvious sign. He revealed himself to me within. And I knew it wasn't self-delusion. In order for it to be self-delusion, I would have had to be willing it to happen. 
wanting it to happen, trying to make it happen, but I didn't will it to happen. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't interested in him. I didn't want anything to do with him, and yet it happened, and I, in those moments, knew he was real. In fact, I knew that he was what I needed. He was what I was looking for and longing for. And these days, I'm calling moments like that when God reveals himself in unmistakable ways a brush with God. I didn't know it at the time, but this is what has happened to every single person who's ever had the life-changing experience of, of coming to know God. The experience of a brush with God is what changes people. And when they do have that experience, it changes everything. It's what happened to Moses in the wilderness in front of the burning bush. He had a brush with God. It's what happened to Peter when he was, you know, just one more day of his life showing up for work and walking on the beach alongside the Sea of Galilee getting ready to go out on a fishing expedition. He, he experienced a brush with God. And it's what happened to Paul when he was seeking to destroy those who followed Christ because it was contrary to what he understood and believed in his religion, but yet his life was forever changed when on that Damascus Road he had a brush with God. It's what happened to me and changed the entire trajectory of my life. And, and the reason this series is so personal and important to me is because I know it's what needs to happen to each and every one of you. And so in this series, we're going to look at the story of four women in the Bible who had a life-changing brush with God and, and how God wants to do the same in your life, in mine. And here's my prayer, that, that in your life and that in the life of every single person you invite, and I hope that will be a ton of people to be a part of this series, my prayer is that you will experience what you need most, a brush with God. This weekend, we're going to look at one of the great brush stories of the Bible, a story that has absolutely transformed my understanding of, of my needs and how they can be met. It's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, or you might know it as the woman at the well. You can find it in John 4. In fact, if you have a Bible on your, your phone or you have an iPad with you or you have one of those archaic things with like leather covers or something that you open called a Bible, I, I, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 4 because I'll, I'll dig into it specifically a little later in this talk. But let me, let me give you a synopsis of the story. She, this woman, this Samaritan woman, was at a community well a community well was where people would go to draw water for their daily needs, their family's daily needs. And, and it was here at this community well where she experienced her first brush with Jesus. He, he had been traveling and he had sat down physically tired and thirsty at this well and his disciples went on to look for food and there she was and there he was and he asked her for a drink. A drink of water. But, but he didn't stop there. He then used that moment as an opportunity to, 
to offer her a drink of his living one. The opportunity to have her spiritual thirst, and her spiritual thirst was significant as the story reveals, as we'll see later, but he offers her a, a, a drink that would take care of her spiritual thirst and bring her satisfaction once and forever. The story's pretty cool. I hope you'll read it on your own sometime, but, but after a little bit of drama unfolds, she ultimately took Jesus up on his offer. And this brush with God changed her life, and then she became a brush in God's hand that God used to bring uh, the vibrant colors of a brand new life to many in her world, many who had previously rejected her in her world. It's an amazing story. But here's what most people miss when they read the Bible. They, they just read the story about someone else, but, but, but you need to know in doing that, they miss themselves. Because the Samaritan woman is a picture of each and every one of us, of, of our lives. We're the thirsty ones. We're the ones longing and looking and never finding satisfaction. We're the ones that need the offer of living water that will finally solve our, our dissatisfaction once and forever. Every single day, each and every one of us in different ways are seeking to find satisfaction, but we never really find what we're looking for in more than a temporary way. And like this woman, each and every day, we have to go back to the well we've chosen to, to keep scrounging for more because no matter how much we get, we stay thirsty. That's what leads to so many of our bad choices, our messed up choices, our dark choices. It's what leads us to miss everything that we're longing for and that God wants for us. The reason is simple. We're, we're disconnected from the only source for satisfaction, like the woman at the well. She was disconnected, ultimately, from the God who could quench her thirst, and that's who she needed. That's why Jesus came, but the same is true of us. We're disconnected from God. That's why every day we get up and we thirst for something more. We thirst for something else. And no matter how many times we get what we want, we stay thirsty and we keep going after it. We keep pursuing it because, because we're thirsty. We have a longing that nothing can satisfy. It's because we're disconnected from the only source that can satisfy God himself. And what happens is that we become constantly thirsty. We have this perpetual absence of satisfaction, I call it. And I'm, I'm really just, I'm just really opening my chest to you about my own story, but I think in so doing, you're going to see yourself. I, I just tend to every single day of my life, no matter how much I experience, to, to play house to this perpetual absence of satisfaction. I'm just not satisfied. My biggest dreams come true, and, and I'm not satisfied. I need more dreams to come true. I, my, my greatest possessions I finally get my hands on and I realize that they do nothing to quench my thirst and so I have to start thinking of new possessions and, and it just is always there for me. And the sad reality is that we accept this as normal. We see it as a part of humanity. This is just the way it is. It's the way it's supposed to be, but you need to know it's not the way it was supposed to be. 
We're not supposed to be constantly thirsting. We're not supposed to be constantly in a state of dissatisfaction. We're not supposed to be trying to find something that will finally be it, and yet it always not be it. That's not how it's supposed to be. The problem is we look for and we settle for the temporary satisfaction of incomplete replacements for God, of incomplete alternatives to God. And a lot of times we judge other people for what they're replacing God with. But you, you need to know it doesn't matter what we replace God with, we will stay thirsty. And see, some of us, we, we replace God with good things. I mean, we do good things, we say good things, we offer good things, we're kind to the poor and we're helpful and we're generous and we do good works, but, but you need to know it doesn't matter how many good things you do in life, those good things can't replace God, you're going to stay thirsty. And some of us, this is more my tendency, is we replace God with bad things, thinking that, that some pleasures that maybe are not supposed to be pursued, or some opportunities that we shouldn't seek to advance in our lives, those would bring us the satisfaction we're looking for, but they don't work either. Good things, bad things, anything replacing God has a common result. They don't solve the problem. They just temporarily relieve it. And here's what I want you to see. The things we're filling our lives with are not the cure. They're just covering the problem. They're like Tylenol and Advil. They relieve us for a while, but then the problem exists still. And when we thirst after the relief wears off, it actually creates a thirst worse than what we had before. I kind of compare it to drinking salt water when you're really, really thirsty and you see this water and you go, oh my gosh, that'll quench my thirst and you drink salt water, what happens is it makes you even thirstier and it ultimately kills you and that's exactly what's going on in our world, in our lives. We look to things in the natural world to solve our thirst problem and the story of the Samaritan woman, she was looking to water and other things as you'll see in a moment, but they didn't work. They can't work. Because our thirst isn't a natural thirst. It's not a natural problem. It's a spiritual one. And so we all look to the natural to solve this problem we have, this thirst we have, this longing we have, this dissatisfaction we have, but we do it in very unique ways, in personal ways, because our dissatisfaction manifests itself in different ways because we're all different. I pursue different pleasures than you pursue to satisfy my thirst because I'm a different person but we're doing the same thing you see we're we're trying to satisfy ourselves in a world of dissatisfaction and you pursue all kinds of different opportunities than I do it manifests itself differently and and you might look better than I look or I might look better than you look but we're all in the same game we're trying to fill the emptiness with things that can't fill the emptiness and we end up in the same place. And you know what's really sad? A lot of people use religion to try and fill their emptiness, but religion is not a replacement for what only God can do. And so we have to turn to this story and realize that, that what Jesus is offering this woman is what we 
so desperately need. But she's doing in this story what we are doing in our lives, in our unique ways. She tried to solve her problems in natural ways. She, she was thirsting for love and thirsting for acceptance, and we know this because of what she was doing in her life. She, she tried to solve her problem with relationships, and come on, have, have you ever heard the eHarmony, the Christian Mingle, the Match.com, I mean, it's like the whole world acts as if you get the right relationship, your thirst is going to be solved. And nothing wrong with relationships. God made us for relationships. I've been married 36 years. I'm so thankful it's the most important relationship in my life. But let me just tell you something. Relationships don't solve our problems. They just add to them. And she was trying to solve her problems relationally. So she was a young gal and she met a guy and swooned. Said, yes, I do, rich or poor, whatever happens, this is awesome. And then she woke up sometime later and went, I'm still thirsty. And she knew he was the problem because if he was the right kind of husband, she wouldn't have this thirst anymore, right? Because it's supposed to solve the thirst problem. So she knew what she had to do. Get rid of that loser and go out and find a winner, some sugar daddy somewhere. Maybe someone on the top ten sexiest of people magazine or something, right? She found him. Loser. Got rid of him. Married a third. Loser. Got rid of him. Married a fourth. Loser. Got rid of him. Married a fifth. This isn't a world that didn't like divorce, unlike our world. I mean, she, five times married, divorced him, and then she figured it out. Getting married makes me thirsty. <laughs> so she decided, I'm going to get a man and not get married. That didn't work either. So she tried to meet her need relationally. Some of you had tried to, if I could just find the man or woman of my dreams, then I'd no longer be thirsty. That person doesn't exist. And then we moved to houses, and we moved to jobs, and we moved to promotions, and we moved to all kinds of things. But you know, every time we get exactly what we're pursuing, we find that we're just thirsty even more. And that's where she was. She she tried to solve her problem with religion. When she found out Jesus was a prophet, dude, she started going, oh, which religion's right? What should I do? And how does this work? And, give and Jesus said that none of that will work. And I am, I am telling you, in my life, this is one of the greatest discoveries. And I have to keep discovering it because I keep forgetting. And I believe this is what you're longing for. We need to learn from this woman. It's important for us to understand that we are this woman because we try to fill... We try to fill our thirst and satisfy our thirst with the pursuit of pleasure. And it doesn't matter what pleasure you pursue or how you pursue it. I promise you this. Moments after the pleasure is gone, you're going to be thirsty again. We do it with possessions and we do it with, with professions and we do it with philosophy. And some of you are very intellectual people and I have no idea why you come and listen to me talk. But you're very intellectual people and you try and fill your thirst with philosophy. But let me tell you, you might have the most brilliant philosophy worked out in the history of the world. But that philosophy is going to leave you thirsty. 
Because see, only God can quench your thirst. What Jesus does is he says you cannot solve this spiritual problem in a natural way. And then he addresses it head on in other parts of his teaching. Here the story reveals it, but look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. And I know this is going to really upset some of you because you've been holding John 4 open saying he's going to get there, he's going to get there. And then the first passage I turn to is Matthew 6 and you're going, what the crap? <laughs> I'm coming to coming to John 4 but look at Matthew 6 verses 25 and 31 through 33 therefore I tell you Jesus says do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear would you stop thinking these are your issues saying, would, you, would you stop thinking that this is what your thirst is about that if you get these things you won't be thirsty he says it's not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes and so he jumps in verse 31 so so stop making this what life is about don't worry about these don't think that if you solve these things what shall we eat what shall we drink what we shall wear that you're you'll no longer be thirsty he, he says because this is what the pagans run after pagans simply people who are totally disconnected from God don't have God in their life he goes this is what those people run after and yet they're still thirsty and he goes but your heavenly father knows that you need them and so look at verse 33 of Matthew 6 seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well he says you want to stop thirsting you want to start finding satisfaction you, you need him and this is why Jesus is sitting at this well saying I've got some living water for you here's the truth that I want you to see as we kick off this brush series and it's a truth you need. It's a truth that I need. It's a truth that I need to be reminded of perpetually. Jesus can genuinely eliminate our thirst. So that we don't get up every single day thirsting, which motivates us to make bad choices, to go after bad things, to, to mess up our lives, to try and satisfy that thirst. Jesus can genuinely eliminate our thirst. And, and there's a dot, dot, dot on this because this, the way this sentence ends is very, very important. Jesus can genuinely eliminate our thirst forever. Forever. Pleasure can't. Promotion can't. House can't. Jesus can. I'm telling you, Jesus is what we're longing for. Look at John chapter 4, verses 10 and 14. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, <laughs> you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I mean, he, he puts the spring in you. And so here's the application, and this is, it's the application where we start applying it to our lives where it can really engage and change us. If we're going to find what we're looking for, genuine satisfaction, then we have to recognize what Jesus shares with this woman. Because remember, she's us. 
And I know this is relevant to you because this last week you were longing for something that you thought if it happened, you'd no longer be thirsty. Some of you think Tuesday, maybe Tuesday, our thirst will be quenched. Are you freaking kidding me? If we're going to find what we're looking for, genuine satisfaction, we need to recognize that our thirst is a spiritual issue, not a natural one. Nothing political will solve our thirst because our problem is a spiritual issue. Nothing relational will solve our thirst because it's not a relational issue, it's a spiritual issue. Nothing materialistically or professionally or vocationally will solve our thirst because it's a spiritual issue. It demands a spiritual solution. Please understand this, and I have to remind myself all the time because it's my natural propensity to pursue satisfaction in the wrong ways, but no amount of pleasure, no amount of prosperity or power can solve our thirst issue. But Jesus can. Look at John chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. He, she's still thinking he's talking about water. Oh, you're going to give me this living water? You're going to need a bucket and, like, stuff. No, no, he doesn't. And by the way, this is how we think. You think that, wow, if I come to Jesus, that he becomes my genie, and he's going to give me water without me having to work for it. I'm not going to have to draw it with a bucket anymore. So this is how we pray. Give me relationships that make me happy. Give me jobs that make me, give me, ha make me happy. Give me a bank account that makes me happy. Give me the pleasures that make me happy. Give me the life that makes me happy. Help me to live in Hawaii. That will make me happy. We're, we're praying for him to give us the natural things that we think will quench our thirst. You don't need what he can give you naturally. You need what he can give you supernaturally, which will change your life. This is important. And so, so she's going, how are you going to give me this water? Ooh, magical. It's going to float up, and it's going to come in, and I'm going to drink it. No. She says, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, she says? And he doesn't say anything in this story, but I know what he's thinking. As a matter of fact. <laughs> Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Yeah, because I not only made him, I made the earth, the hole was dug in, and the water down in it. Idiot. No, he didn't say that. Thank God I'm not the Savior because I wouldn't save nothing. But he, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds, and Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Let me tell you something. If God gives you the perfect house today, what will you be tomorrow? Thirsty. If God gives you the perfect pleasure today, what will you be tomorrow? Thirsty. If God gives you the perfect job today, what will you be tomorrow? Thirsty. If God gives you the perfect relationship today, what will you be tomorrow? Thirsty. We don't need God to grant us one more thing. We need God himself because that's what's going to change us or else we'll stay thirsty. So... 
Why is it we don't have him? There's our real problem, right? And we find it in the story. Our real problem, like this woman's real problem, is that we're seeking satisfaction apart from God. We're seeking satisfaction. We, we really think we can get it apart from God. And the only reason we need God is to get what we want. It's not going to do it. And by the way, just so you know, the Bible calls this sin. Just go back to Genesis 3 and read the story of, of Adam and Eve. You, you, you know what their sin was? They decided to seek satisfaction apart from God. They didn't need God. They needed the fruit that God said they couldn't have. Wow, man. Maybe that'll make life better. And that's how we are. So we're seeking satisfaction apart from God, which is sin, and it's separating us from him. And look at how Jesus points this out to her. She had no clue. John 14, verses 15 through 18, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drive. It, it's not this water. Wake up. But this is me. I keep thinking it's something I'm missing. If I just had something else, God, if you'd give it to me. He's, no. And so he says, I'm going to help you to find it. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Now let's just stop there. Everything is true so far. And by, I'm just going to tell you, this is in a world before they invented depends. And he said, go call your husband and come back. And I'm just telling you, she left a puddle right next to that well because this scared the heck out of her. This is the one thing she didn't want known. It's the one thing she was hiding from. This was the real issue. I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus says, yeah, you just told me the truth. That's true, you have no husband. But then look what he says. Here's what you left out. And I'm going to tell you, this is what we do. See, we tell each other the truth. We create the image of the truth that's incomplete, just like she did. I don't have a husband. That's true. But he says, you, you had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. He was saying, you know, while you're thirsty, you're trying to replace your thirst in all the wrong ways. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know why you're thirsty, because I know I am thirsty. I keep trying to meet all my needs in the wrong ways. This last week, the week before, the week before, I kept thinking that if I could experience this or do that or have this, if I made this choice and went this direction, then I'd be, ha no. And you're the same way. And you know what happens when someone starts, you know, exposing us like this. You, you have had five husbands, you're living with this guy. Our, our natural reaction when the truth gets too personal, begins to expose us, our natural reaction is to dodge and to deflect. Right? Someone starts getting personal, you go, it's a nice day, isn't it? How's the weather? And that's exactly what she does. Instead of dealing with it, she tries to deflect. And look at John 4, verses 19 to 20. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She's not dealing with the fact she's had five husbands living with a guy and she's still miserable. I see you're a prophet. That's awesome. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And she wanted to talk about crap that didn't matter rather than talking about her real issues. And isn't that how we are? You know the talks people love best that I give are the ones that deal with other people's problems but leave them alone? 
Not today, friend. This is your problem. It's my problem. I'm thirsty, and I keep trying to quench the thirst in the wrong ways. This is personal with me. It's personal with you. And we can't keep deflecting, because if we deflect, we'll settle for covering the problem instead of letting Jesus cure the problem. If you want to cure, you've got to come to Jesus. And here's the thing. We know what we're doing doesn't work. I, I know what I'm doing doesn't work. I, 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 you know, we all have these pet things we pursue to quench our thirst. We all have our issues. And I, every time I've ever pursued any of these things, it's left me what? Thirsty. And yet, you know what I keep doing? Going back to the same thing. Do you do this? We know it doesn't work, but we keep doing it. Why? Because we would rather live in a cycle of failure than deal with the real issues. And that's what's going on with her. If we're going to have our thirst quenched, then we, we can't just keep going back to the same well where we bring up water that doesn't satisfy. We have to, we have to turn to him. This is what you need to learn from this story. Wherever our well is, whatever well you turn to to try and have your thirst taken away, that's the well that Jesus comes to. The Bible says that he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, Jews didn't go through Samaria generally, and yet the Bible says he needed to go to Samaria. Why? Because he, he needed to be at the well where she was trying to find her thirst met. And that's where he is for me. Wherever I go, he's there saying, but you don't have to keep drawing that water. You can have living water. And wherever your well is, he's there. And here's what we need to understand. God, please understand this from this story. God is the only one who can genuinely quench our thirst. The only one. He's the only one that can cure us from our problem. Nothing else can do it. We, we need to experience the brush of God in our lives. Look at John 4, verses 21 through 24. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. Salvation is through the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father not on this mountain or that mountain or in this church building or that church building, but in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God's spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. We must experience him everywhere because that's where he is and so if we're going to finally solve this thirst problem in our lives then we need to do what this woman did we we need to recognize our need that we're trying to find satisfaction apart from God that we've lived in sin we need to realize that Jesus is the only one who can quench our thirst and then we need to do what she did she accepted Jesus we need to accept Jesus we need to accept him your philosophy won't do it, pleasure won't do it, but Jesus will do it. Look at John 4, verses 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. I know the Savior's coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. She's, she's going, he's going to come and, and then he'll explain stuff to us. And he goes, I who speak to you am he. He's come. 
And now she had a decision to make. Would I keep trying to get my thirst satisfied in my own way, or would I even follow my own words? When the Savior comes, he'll explain. And she decided, since he was the Savior, she would accept him, and it changed her life. And we know this. It doesn't say, then, you know, they sang just as I am, and she came forward in church, and she prayed. It doesn't say any of that junk. But you know what it says? It says, she then left and went and told everyone she knew that she had finally met the Christ. She accepted him. I know you're a thirsty person because you're a human being, and I know that you have a tendency to fill the, the thirst in all the wrong ways, different ways than me, but your own ways, and I know this, it's never worked and it never will. I don't know what your dream is right now. I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what pleasure you're pursuing that you think is going to this time satisfy your thirst, but I'm going to tell you, it's not. Some of you are on the precipice of the worst decision, the most self-destructive decision you'll ever make in your life, and you're, you're thinking about making that decision because you think, finally, my thirst will be satisfied. No, it won't. You need to accept Jesus. Because when you accept Jesus, you find living water, a spring of water welling up from within. And so before we move into a time of worship this weekend, I want to give you this opportunity. Before I finish the talk with a final thought, I want to give you this opportunity. And so I'm going to invite you here in Plymouth and all of you at our regional campuses. I'm so glad you're there. If you just bow in a word of prayer just for a moment, and even those of you who are watching online all around the world, if you just bow in a world of, word of prayer. And if you're ready to experience what Jesus has come to give you, just take my words and make them yours. Do what this woman did. Just say, I believe. Jesus, I've been trying to satisfy my thirst without you. And as a result, I've sinned against you. And I'm still thirsty. But I believe when you died on the cross, it was to forgive me of my sin. And when you rose again, it was to fill me with that new life. And by faith, I'm accepting you and trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before I give you this last thought and we move into worship, if, if you prayed with me, please let us know. I, I mean, one of the most encouraging things that ever happens to me each week is when I find out someone took a step into a relationship with Jesus. It's encouraging, but more importantly, you need to know next steps you can take. And so in the programs that we give you, there's a little connection card. It's so easy to rip out on the bottom. It says, you prayed to accept Jesus. And they check that off. Fill this thing out. At all of our regional campuses and here at Plymouth, there are boxes right outside the, the doors of the auditorium. Put it in there and we'll send you this information. And if you're looking to pray with someone, we have a prayer team that, that meets up front after the service. You can come and be a part of them. But whatever you do, make sure you open your life to Jesus. But then something interesting happens in this lady's life. Look at John 4, verses 28 through 30. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. And by the way, she left her water jar. Isn't that interesting? She, that which she needed the most, she left. Because she realized it wasn't about that anymore. And she went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? 
And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. I mean, a multitude of people came to Jesus because of this woman. This is interesting because in this story, God reveals two things to us. The first is the time. That's weird. He doesn't tell us the time of all the stories. But in this story, he tells us the time. And it's the sixth hour. The sixth hour. More, most likely, that's noon. Because the day started at six in the morning. So the sixth hour of the day would be noon. And noon was not the time people came to get water. That was the hottest time of the day. You don't carry water in the hottest time of the day. You know when they went to get water? In the evening. So why does God tell us that she went to the well at noon? Could it be God wants us to know that she went to the well when no one else was there because that's what people who are hiding do? Right? But it tells us something else in this passage. It tells us she went to Jacob's well, to this well. I'll tell you, said, interestingly, there was plenty of water supply closer to the city. She didn't have to go all the way to Jacob's well unless it... Unless it was better water, I don't know, maybe they ran it through a purifier. I don't know. Why would she go all the way, way past where she has to go to get water at noon? Could it be? God wants us to know she was doing this because she was in hiding. Who wants to be confronted by? Who wants to deal with people? Who wants to be reminded of their hurt and who they are? Who wants to deal with all of that? And could it be that God wants us to realize this is us? Because all of us, with the images that we create, the perceptions we create, the stories we tell, aren't we really just hiding? Some of us are hiding in church. But you know, it's interesting. When she experienced Jesus changing her from the inside out, filling her thirst with his spring of living water, what was the first thing she did? She dropped the bucket and she ran back to the city to the very people she was avoiding because now she had nothing to fear, nothing to hide, no reason to cower because now she wasn't looking to fill her thirst. Her thirst had been quenched and she was so filled with his living water that she had enough water to share with everyone. Could it be that Jesus came to rescue her from her hiding? And that's what he does with us. And see, once we experience a brush with God, then we become a brush in the hand of God to bring the living water to other people. Can I ask you, who are you running to to share the living water of Jesus with? Or are you still in hiding at work, in your neighborhood, in your family? It's time we experience the living water of Jesus, which absolutely fills us so we no longer have to hide, but now we can share. And as we come towards Easter, every single person we know needs a brush with God because every single person we know is thirsty. Wouldn't it be awesome if we, like the Samaritan woman, experienced Jesus so profoundly that in the next several weeks, all we want to do is tell everyone we know that there's someone with a bucket of living water that can be poured in their soul and change their lives. Let's become the brush with God because we've had a brush with God and our lives can forever change. And what we wanted to do with this weekend is we wanted to do it differently. We wanted to let you respond in worship. That's why we put the talk up front. It wasn't so I could talk longer. It was so we could give you the opportunity to respond 
with worship to this Jesus of the living water. And we're going to respond with worship through giving because that's what happens when you're filled. You just want to be generous. And then we're going to respond with the worship of singing. And so we'll start with receiving this offering. And if you're a first-time guest here, first-time guest at one of our regional campuses, we don't want anything from you. This service is our gift to you. Please let the basket pass you by. But for those of us who are a part of Northridge, we want to give because he's given us the springs of living water. We want to be a part of sharing that around the world. And so before we give, would you stand with me in a word of prayer? And don't go anywhere because the worship, we started late, there was traffic, we wanted everyone to get in here, but, but the worship is going to impact you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that while we were chasing down water that we thought would quench our thirst at the wells of this natural world, you came to us like you came to the Samaritan woman and you've said, would you like some living water? And I pray that each and every one of us would experience our thirst finally being forever satisfied by you and then let us live our lives to share that satisfying truth with everyone we know and meet and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.